Uh, I'm gonna send you something. Okay. At least my phone is right here this time. Oh, that was fast. <gasps> I love it. It looks like a little spaceship on the top. It's actually the, the cemetery. Oh, nice. Looks like a little spaceship on the... I like the paintings behind it, too. Oh, yeah. Mom painted those. Love it. It's so cute. We're going to put more green lights in the middle, and we're going to have, like, that little... This little alien ornament that I have and a couple of other alien ornaments, so it's going to look like aliens are, like, arriving. <sighs> I mean, fun. that will definitely fit well, fit well yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, I am Rachel. That is Grace. And this is Baby Yoda. I know you all can't see him, but he's super cute. I'm Grace, and that is Rachel, and that is... I don't want to say his name, because some people might not have seen it yet. But it's not Baby Yoda. It's the child. It's Baby Yoda. The child. I know it's the child, but it's Baby Yoda. Where are we this week, Rachel? This week we are in Carmel, Maine. So this is going to be a really, really short history because this is just like a really tiny, small, quaint, cute town. Plus, uh, we both have full-time jobs, so sometimes when we have longer stories, it makes it a little bit more difficult to get longer histories. Yeah, also I was legit not trying to copy word for word on my sources. Yeah. <laughs> um. That being said, my sources are mainencyclopedia.com, history.raysplace.com, and Wikipedia. So Carmel is a town in Penobscot County, Maine. It was purchased from the state of Massachusetts by a guy named Martin Kingsley of Hampton in 1795. The first settlers arrived in 1798. Uh, this was Reverend Paul and his wife, Abel Ruggles. Ruggles. <laughs> Ruggles, not rebels. Ruggles? Ruggles. Yeah, like okay. rug goals. <laughs> Rubbles. Rubbles. Ruggles. Yes. Okay. Ruggles. It is believed that the name for the town was actually suggested by the Reverend because of the dramatic experience of the prophet Elijah at Mount Carmel. Okay. So it's a very religious place. It was incorporated on June 21st, 1811, and annexed additional lands from Etna in 1866. As of 2010, the population in the town was that of 2,794, wow. with 34.5% of that being children under the age of 18. Wow. So, that is Carmel, Maine. Um, cute little quaint town. I knew it was small, but I didn't, I didn't realize it was that it's small. small. It's small. Dang. Like, it's tiny. Hmm. Alrighty, so what is, now that we know where we're at, what is your story? Um, why did you have to change it? Did you actually change it? I did. Um, so, when I looked up my story, obviously I just typed in, like, murders in Carmel, Maine. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really great story, um, a lot of stuff to it, um, but then I got to a certain point in writing it where it said Indianapolis, and I said, shit, <laughs> this is Carmel, Maine, uh, Indiana. Oh, yeah. So, I had, I had written, like, two pages before I realized, so I rewrote the entire thing Part of it last night and part of it this morning. <sighs> okay. So my so ash. is this a surrounding area then? No. Okay. I mean, parts of it are in parts surrounding are, areas, okay. um, and ones in Texas. Part of it is in Texas, but it's mainly here uh, in Maine. 
That's on the complete opposite side of the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is about the um, James or Jimmy Rodney Hicks murders. Okay. Uh, he's something. He, he's something. My sources are Murderpedia. Uh, most of this comes from a Word document written by David Joyce, Brendan Box, and William Birdsall for the psychology department at Radford University, which was like a whole timeline of everything all written out. They cited their, their sources. It was really cool. There is oh, also nice. I also used an archived New York Times article from August 12th, 1984. It didn't have a um, author. Mm-hmm. And I didn't use this source, but one of my sources did. There's a book titled Tragedy in the North Woods, The Murders of James Hicks by Trudy Irinsky. So mm-hmm. I guess look that up. It's 20 bucks. It looked interesting, so I might buy it. April 17th, 1951, James Jimmy Rodney Hicks was born in Etna, Maine. His family was described as being poor, and his father left when Jimmy was pretty young. Jimmy was an odd child and had that sort of stereotypical characteristic where he was cruel to animals uh, throughout his childhood. Mm. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, Mm. obviously... If the name of what the case I'm covering, it wasn't obvious, it, it, it doesn't go well. So No, it doesn't. No. Yeah. In 1969, when Hicks was seven, 17 or 18, he met Jenny Sear on the school bus in Carmel, Maine. Just a year or so later, they married and moved into Jenny's parents' house in the Carmel, Edna area. In 1971, they had a daughter, Veronica, and during this time, they struggled a lot financially, and a lot of witnesses describe their relationship as being kind of strained, which Mm -hmm. is fairly common for young new parents. And so my sources weren't clear if Hicks was held back a few years or if he dropped out and re-enrolled, but he was able to finish his senior year of high school in 1973 at age 23 and began working at the local wood mill, although that job didn't last very long, and he started working construction and joined a labor union. Okay, I must have blanked on the year because I thought he had graduated high school and then got married. He got married when he was still in high school? Well, maybe. Um, He was 17 or 18 when he met her, and... Oh, okay. Yeah, and they got married a year later. For some reason, I was like, he's... He's 15 and getting married. I mean, okay, but... No, he was 17. So young! He was like 18 or 19 when they got married. Okay. Um, which is still pretty young, but a it's lot of people It's still pretty young, but most people are a little <clears throat> bit more mature at 19 than they are at 15. Yeah, I don't know where you got 15. <laughs> I'm thinking young high school. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he graduated at age 23 in 1973 and began working at a local wood mill although that job didn't last long and he started working construction and joined a labor union they actually filed for a divorce in 1974 apparently because of his infidelity however the couple didn't go through with the divorce once they learned that jenny was pregnant again oh yeah that's not a reason to stay in an unhappy relationship it's not but also it was the 70s when that was i mean expected when that was normal i know i still still don't you you should if if you have to i understand but yeah yeah between care of yourself yes between 1974 and 1977, Jimmy worked different jobs in construction from Bangor, Maine to Newport along present-day I-95. The couple eventually moved out of Jenny's parents' house, and Jenny got a job as a kitchen worker at the Penobscot Nursing Home in Brewer, Maine. July 16th, 1977, the couple had an argument because Hicks was accused of making sexual advances towards Susan Matley, a live-in babysitter who was just 15. Oh, no. Yeah. July 18th, 1977, Jenny took the kids to visit her sister and goes to Bangor for a shopping trip. When she returns home, she calls a close friend named Linda and asks if she wants to go shopping with her the next day, but Linda isn't available. Around 2 a.m., a neighbor hears Jimmy and Jenny 
arguing in the couple's home, Susan Matley, the, their live-in babysitter, comes home late that morning and goes to her room and she says she pretends to be asleep. I guess there was an odd vibe. Um, I'm assuming later in the day, uh, after he gets home from work, Susan asks Jimmy where Jenny is because she hasn't been able to find her. Jimmy searches for Jenny at her parents' house, can ask, asks close friends if they'd seen or heard from her, but no one had. And it, it, interestingly enough, she was actually supposed to pick up her sister, Denise, and take her to a dentist appointment that day. So it was very weird that she just wasn't there. Yeah. I'm just going to call him by his last name. Um, yeah, because you keep pausing on Jimmy and Jenny. Yeah, it yeah. just sounds so similar. So, Hicks. Hicks goes to Denise's house to look for Jenny, but obviously she's not there. And he tells Denise that Jenny left her purse and glasses at home and that she was leaving him and moving to Florida? Why Florida? I don't know. But later in the day, he calls Denise and claims that Jenny's glasses and purse weren't at the house anymore and that he thought Jenny came back for them. Uh, I don't know. But There's some flaws in his story. Yes, but whether he says she's leaving him or not, he does report her missing. But her also, hmm. her mother also reported her missing a few days later. I don't know how that works. Maybe because her mother was like, well, she would of course tell me where she's going. She's my daughter. Maybe. I don't know. But July 23rd, Deputy Timothy Richardson questions Hicks at his house Hicks apparently admitted to pushing his wife around, but never hurting her, which... Bullshit. Yeah. But Richardson doesn't find any evidence to the contrary, and after he leaves for work, Richardson questions Susan Matley, who tells Richardson that Hicks didn't let her leave their tra the trailer for four days since Jenny went missing. Four days. Um, is there a reason? No. There's no reason. Yeah, so... Sketch. Very. Susan Matley leaves Maine to live with a friend in Ohio, and her friend apparently tells her to talk to the police more, but she refuses, which I don't totally blame her. I mean, she's 15, and she was kept in a trailer for four days by a guy whose wife suddenly went missing, so who mm. knows, like, how toxic he was and how scared she was of him. Exactly, yeah. Eight months later, uh, Jenny's mother writes to Maine's Secretary of State requesting information regarding whether or not Jenny had renewed her driver's license, which is so smart. I've never thought about that. Because yeah. obviously if somebody goes missing or if somebody disappears, then they're probably still going to want to renew their driver's license, even if it's a different state, unless they're changing their name. Yeah, I would think... Unless they're changing their name or they're, like, deliberately trying to... Right. ...avoid, like, anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she hadn't. So, unfortunately, the case very quickly goes cold as investigators find no trace of Jenny and no evidence of foul play. So, fast forward to October 16th, 1982. Jimmy Hicks meets Jerry Lynn Towers at the Gateway Lounge Bar in Newport, Maine, and offers to buy her drinks. Later that night, a bartender claims she saw Towers leave the bar with Hicks, but didn't actually see Towers getting into his car. Mm -hmm. Towers, a mother of three, never returned home, and two days later, her mother, June Tibbetts, contacted the police to report her as missing. Officer James Ricker responded to the call, and after interviewing her mother, learned that Towers had been known to leave unexpectedly for short periods of time, but she would always let someone know where she was going. She wouldn't just disappear. She'd be like, hey, I'm going here for a couple of days. Can you watch the kids? Like, that. She yeah, wouldn't just be, like, gone. There's a short line of communication, like, I'm doing this. Right. Jerry Lynn's parents ran a local ad in the newspaper looking for information, and in investigators were contacted by a man named Nathan Small, who claimed to have a special ability of finding missing people. He claimed that Towers was dead and that her body was floating in the river in Bingham in Somerset County. A plane uh -huh. surveyed the, air, the river, but nobody was found. Mid-November 1982, investigators received an anonymous tip claiming a Gary Hicks was the last person seen leaving with Towers at the bar. 
After mm-hmm. interviewing bar patrons, they found out his real name was James or Jimmy. Corporal Eugene Robinson had joined the investigation and interviewed Hicks in his home in Etna, Maine, and Hicks completely denied ever being at the bar and said he knew nothing about Jerry Lynn's disappearance. But Officer Robinson also was able to confirm with the bartender that it was definitely Hicks. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So another officer, the Officer Riker, I'm going to say Riker, goes to Hicks' house to question him again, but before he does, he discovers that Hicks's wife had been missing for more than five years. Mm, look at that. Yeah. Connected to, to two disappearances. Yup. <laughs> During the interview, Hicks is uncooperative and denies being at the Gateway Lounge on that night. And at this point, Hicks's girlfriend arrives home for work and calls his attorney, so the police leave. Okay. Yeah. Detective Dick Reichel, Maine State Police, is contacted by Riker since there were no leads in the case and there was a possibility of a single or double homicide. So Detective Reichel starts re- starts to re-examine the case of Jenny Hicks and he interviews Stacy Matley, who claims that when she returned home that night, she saw Jenny lying in an awkward position in Hicks' living room while Jimmy stared at a staticky TV screen. Is he possessed? No, he just... I... I guess, like... I don't know. That's weird. I think maybe it's one of those things where you've done something really bad, and then you're just, like, zoning out? You Yeah, you disassociate? Maybe that's it? I don't know. But she also hmm. claimed to have heard shoes being dragged across the floor and heard the pickup truck driving away, but couldn't say who was driving. She didn't see. So that's why she pretended to be asleep. Yeah, I would assume yeah. so. That would make the most sense. October 4th, 1983, Detective Reichel takes the case to grand jury and an, an indictment is issued for the murder of Jenny Hicks against Jimmy Hicks. Mm-hmm. Three days later, Hicks is arrested and charged for the murder of Jenny. He pled not guilty and was appointed counsel, but I guess they didn't do it for him because he changed counsel like a month later. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, the trial started March 15th, 1984, and it did on the 22nd. Susan Matley was the only witness. No body was ever found. Hicks didn't confess, and a murder weapon was never found. Nevertheless, the jury deliberated for nine hours and returned a verdict of guilty on the fourth (sighs) degree, which today would be manslaughter, and was sentenced to 10 years. And this is actually the first case in which a defendant was convicted of murder in Maine where there was no body, no weapon, and no bloodstains. I mean, one, awesome if he did it, because he's serving his time for it. But also, right. like, if, if he didn't... Very odd, because I guess that witness testimony would have to be so accurate. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know how they did that. But I guess also, I mean, it is super sketch that he, that there's two disappearances surrounding him. Yeah, and I don't know whether or not they were... they took that into consideration? I don't know if they took that into consideration. I don't know if they were able to tell the jury that or not. Um, I don't know. That's weird. August 22nd, 1985, Hicks married Linda Marquis in the Thomaston State Prison, but not without having to jump through some hoops in order for them to get married the state so the state hadn't issued a death certificate for his wife because there was no body mm-hmm. um so basically it was very weird because he's like they obviously think that she's dead because i'm in prison um but they won't issue a death certificate because there's no body. And I don't know how they figured it out, but eventually they did get married. Um, and Linda says James is innocent. They've known each other for seven years, blah, 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 whatever. Hicks was released after six years due to good behavior. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Between 1991 and 1992, Hicks and Linda file for divorce and Hicks begins dating Karen Gomes, whose sister Melissa was married to jimmy's brother steve not yeah his sister-in-law sister yes yes yeah i kind of gives a new meaning to keeping it within the family (laughs) keep it in the family 
Not long after the divorce, Karen and Jimmy got married and moved in with Karen's parents. It does not last long, with the couple separating three times and eventually divorcing. During both marriages, Hicks also has an affair with a woman named Louise Robertson, who he worked with at the Twin City Motel. And in 1992, Hicks and Robertson actually have a daughter, and Hicks denies that it, he's the father until a blood test confirms it. Uh. The affair ended in 1994, and Robertson claimed that Hicks never said anything about being married or about his four other children. Wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, Maine State Police are, were still actively investigating Jerry Lynn Towers' disappearance and interviewed Hicks's ex-wives and girlfriends. Okay. The police were um, contacted by Geraldine's brother, Vance Tibbetts, who served time in the same prison as Hicks for attempted murder. He had actually confronted Hicks, who claimed that Jerry Lynn let the, left the Gateway Lounge with a trucker. So, with a trucker. That's what Hicks says. In 1994, Hicks met Lynn Allen Willette, and she started uh, when she started working with him at the motel. A year later, Hicks moved into Willette's apartment in Brewer. That same year, Hicks actually filed a complaint against Vance Tibbetts, claiming he felt like Tibbetts was stalking him. Mm -hmm. The case was turned over to the state police, and I don't think anything ever came of it. But in February of 1996, Maine State Police Detective Zamboni interviewed Hicks about the possibility of a polygraph, and he was very reluctant and was like, maybe we can just do it some other time. (laughs) I'm not feeling it right now, but like... Maybe, Maybe in like mm, a week, a year. Yeah, just give it a couple years. of years. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. May 26, 1996, Hicks reports Lynn Willette missing, claiming he doesn't know where she is and that he has not harmed her. However, the police found... Why specifically <laughs> that he has not harmed her? I, I guess that was probably one of the questions that... They asked. That they asked. I feel okay. like with his background, that's pretty common. Um, yeah. However, police found some inconsistencies with his alibi and obviously were suspicious. Four days later, Lynn's car was found off I-95 at a truck, a truck stop in Hernan, Maine. Police interviewed friends and family of both Hicks and Willette, but couldn't find any evidence that suggests that Lynn is dead or that James killed her. But just months after Lynn Willette's disappearance, Hicks moved in with an eight, his 18-year-old girlfriend, Brandy Mayo. How old is he? 44! 44! I mean, if they genuinely love each other, then okay, but that much of an age gap, how much can you have in common if he's not your sugar daddy? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know either. I that's just a really big age gap. It is, and I just... She was 16 I mean, two years ago. I just... Yeah, get, yeah. And I mean, I guess it's fine, because she's of legal age, but also that... That, that's still... essentially a pedophile. But, and he, like, tried to go after his 15-year-old babysitter, or allegedly. That, too. Anyway, um... Detective Zamboni interviews Mayo's mother and discovers that strangers have reported James abusing Brandy. Mm-hmm. And in 1997, Mayo and Hicks have a daughter. In 1998, they get married and move to Bangor, Maine. June 15, 1999, the FBI's Critical Incident Response Group assigned the National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime analyzed Hicks' behaviors and activities and concluded that he most likely had some responsibility in the disappearances of Jerry Lynn Towers and Lynn Willette. Didn't need a fucking, didn't need the fucking FBI to figure that out, but whatever. That same month, Hicks and Mayo moved to Leveland, Texas, leaving their daughter in the custody of Maine's Department of Human Services. Okay. April of 2000, they have another daughter in Texas. Leveland's Leveland's police department received information from Maine about Hicks and the state of Texas recommended that the couple's child be removed from the couple and like days within the baby being born. Probably a smart idea. Yeah. Hicks Hicks who was working as a handyman contacted an elderly customer named June Moss 
He claimed that the check she wrote him was to a closed account, so June tells him to come back to her house so she can pay him in person. Mm-hmm. When he arrives, he points a gun to her head and threatens to kill her. He forces her to write a $1,200 check and give him the title to her car. He also forces her to write a suicide note and drink an entire bottle of cough syrup. Ew. Can that kill you? I mean, I would have... I don't know, it might. I would throw up. I mean, you would definitely throw up. But, I mean, cough syrup tends to make you really tired. So, I mean, maybe? Maybe? I have no idea. Can you die if you drink an entire bottle of cough syrup? High doses of cough medicine can cause serious problems, including brain damage, seizure, or death. Anyway, he goes to the back of the house for some reason, and she's able to escape and goes to the neighbor's house where the neighbor calls for the police. That neighbor is a badass because they saw Hicks leaving June's house in his van and followed him to his house, making sure police were able to get there. Mm -hmm. And June was fine. Hicks was taken to Lubbock County Jail and charged with aggravated robbery of an elderly person, which is, like, a very serious crime in Texas, and his bond was set at $250,000. Oof. Yeah. Okay. Hicks was indicted and faced life in prison, which was the maximum sentence in Texas, considering that he was a convicted felon and used a gun to rob her. Mm. For those who don't know, convicted felons cannot own firearms. Or use firearms. Wonder where he got it from. I don't know. Probably illegally. Definitely illegally. Because, like, you can't, you can't get it from a gun shop. They do a background check. Well, it was Texas in the 70s. Valley. No, this was 2000. This was 2000. But it's still Texas. I mean, still Texas, yeah. 2000s. April 27th, uh, Hicks' brother Steve contacts Detective Zamboni and requests a deal in which Hicks could be extradited to Maine in exchange for information regarding the disappearances of... Jerry Lynn Towers, and Lynn Wallette. Mm -hmm. June of 2000, Hicks wrote a letter to Detective Zamboni stating he'll cooperate if he can be extradited to Maine and have things go his way. (laughs) Yeah. His way as in? As in he gets to go back to Maine and gets, basically ends up getting a lesser sentence, but not really. Mm. I think in, um... Texas, they probably would have had the death penalty, maybe? Probably. September 28th, 2000, Hicks confessed to murdering Lynn Willette via strangulation on May 25th, 1996 in the couple's apartment in Brewer, Maine, following an argument about Hicks' past. He offers to lead Detective Zamboni to Willette's remains. He also admits to killing Towers and his first wife, Jenny. Yeah. He pleads guilty to aggravated robbery and is extradited to Maine. October of 2000, he agrees to locate the remains of his victims and leads investigators to Haynesville Woods, which is, like, adjacent to Route 2 and I-95. I-95 comes up a lot in this. It does. Um, The remains are found dismembered in a bucket buried in a shallow grave. Dismembered in a bucket? Yes. And buried. The other remains of the victims were found buried near Jenkins Beach in Bangor, Maine. Hicks admits that after leaving the Gateway Lounge, he saw Towers walking out of a convenience store, and he offered her a ride. They go to the Newport swimming hole, and after they finish swimming, Towers gets into his car in in the front, and he strangles her to death from behind. He admits to keeping her body for two weeks after her murder and then dismembering her remains and burying them in a field on his property. And he also admits to strangling his first wife, Jenny, to death with a belt and dismembering her remains and dispersing them in the wilderness throughout the Carmel area. Oh my god. Yeah. November 6th, Hicks is indicted for the murders of Jerry Lynn Towers and Lynn Willette in Penobscot County. And... He pleads guilty. He's found guilty a month later on December 4th, and the judge stated that Hicks showed no remorse for the crimes and sentenced him to two life sentences without parole, plus restitution to be awarded to his victims' families. And that was my story. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was the uh, Jimmy Hicks murders. 
Well, on the plus side, he admitted to it. Yeah, but he very obviously felt no remorse and... No. Like, because he only got 10 years for his wife's murder and because he was released after six... He can't be retried for it. Right. And he, I mean, he definitely did it, but because he got so such a short sentence and because he was, he had good behavior in prison, he got af- after six, which meant he could go on to kill two more women that we know of. <laughs> Fuck. So. Like, he can still be tried for the other women that he killed, though. They, yeah, I mean, he was convicted he, he for was, both of those, okay. and he's serving life in prison okay. right now, so, and, Jeez. yeah. Why? And he's not up for, he can never be up for parole, so that's good. That is probably the best part of that entire story, mm-hmm. is that he can never be up for parole. So, we are going to take that, um... Yeah, I got most of that information Fine. from that one, like, document that was for Radford University. I thought that was pretty rad. <laughs> <laughs> well, duh. That's why it's Rad University. <laughs> oh, why was I about to say out loud LMAO? <laughs> Instead of actually just a, laughing, as, yeah. as if this was a text-based conversation. <laughs> That's the millennial in you. Um, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, so, hmm. on to possibly more lies, my story. On to possibly more of, lies? Possibly more lies. Ooh, um, love that. Basically, I'm going to say for this, um, for my story, go in with an open mind, but also take everything with a grain of salt, because there... There are questions there, and inconsistencies it, yes okay and a lot of historical inconsistencies oh. because i could find nothing and other people who've done research can find nothing oh. so with that being said my uh story this week is ghosts of carmel maine the lamb house haunting so for those of you who don't know uh, Ghost of Carmel, Maine is a YouTube user who posts a whole bunch of videos about a house he moved into. So I'm just gonna go right into it. So my sources are one, hours upon hours of videos from YouTube, mm. <laughs> which literally took um, four days after work of research, so six to midnight. And they're long yeah. videos. So. And they're long videos. Yeah. And all day last Sunday. Um, <laughs> uh, and then paranormalist.com, reddit.com, midnightinthedesert.com, and a Facebook page titled Hoax of Carmel, Maine. That one I know of. That one you know of because you found it when you were first doing our research. So... Basically, this guy, Kent Burris, and his wife moved to Carmel, Maine from Florida. So, they live in the house known as the Lamb House. Like I said, I could not find a whole lot about it. Um, But when they moved in, Kent started noticing that weird things were happening that he just couldn't explain. And this is a frequent thing that tends to happen to get people to be interested in the paranormal. Mm -hmm. And he is actually self-proclaimed, when this all started, he did not believe in anything. So, by December of 2014, Kent had some suspicions about his home. Odd things kept happening. Uh, One night when he was home alone while his wife was at work, he heard some of these odd noises Mm. and pulled out his, um, the camera on his phone to begin recording. Now, there were some weird clickings and pops and thuds that seemed to come through, but, like, most people who have older homes, it it just kind of happens. Three days later, he stumbled upon Ghost Adventures on Netflix. Ha ha. Um, Yeah, ha ha. Back when Ghost Adventures was on Netflix, I actually forgot they were on Netflix for a hot minute. And this is when he admitted that he didn't pay any attention to the show because he just didn't believe it. He thought it was crap. (laughs) But he was bored, so, you know, he decided he would watch it Mm because what else is going on? Yeah. So he watches it, learns a little bit about EVPs and investigating, and subsequently decided to do a little broad daylight EVP session in the cemetery near his home. 
using his phone camera for audio purposes because he didn't get a recorder from Walmart. I don't know. It's a small town. They might not have a Walmart. (laughs) Um, He walks around the grave saying, can anyone hear me? To which a voice replies, who are you? Oh. So his first experience right there. The actual first video that was posted on the Ghost of Carmel main account was posted on August 14th, 2017. It shows a toy rocking horse flying off of a shelf. Oh, dear. So, look, it's a very bad quality video, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, And most of the videos on his channel are very bad quality because... I promise you, he went to the closest Walmart, got the cheapest camera he could. Yeah. So that he could start filming this stuff. Because he saw Ghost Adventures, and why not? Everybody wants to be Zach Bagans. Hell, I want to be Zach Bagans. <laughs> no, I don't. This, unfortunately, um, leads to a lot of speculation as to whether anything shown is real or not. Because there's a belief that he manipulated the horse to fall off the shelf by using a string to pull it. Yeah. However, personally, the way that it comes off the shelf, it really doesn't appear to be like the same pattern as if you were to pull it with a string. Mm. Because you pull it, you're going to yank it, it's going to fall and like come straight down. It like launches to the side of the bed. Hmm. It actually kind of topples over itself when it was launching. Okay. Which is, again, not something that would happen with a string. Yeah. You'd have to have some very complicated type of setup for that. <laughs> You'd have to have, like, a spring. And a pulley and, like, a whole yeah. thing. Like, have a little thing here to hang it on to just, like, loop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be weird. exactly. In the same video, uh, you can also see a small, almost child-sized figure at the end of the bed that moves away towards the part of the room that is unseen by the camera. Ooh, no, um, no. Yeah. So the next video that's posted on this channel, I'm just going to point out, I didn't like this video because it's a series of really grainy photographs that he processed through what felt like was Windows Movie Maker. (laughs) (laughs) So not to bash Windows Movie Maker because I miss that program so much, but like, if you don't know how to use it, it looks like a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. That's how everything I ever did on there looked like, so... (laughs) But also, you know, these are such grainy images. There's no clear details. And if you're looking to prove or disprove something, you're going to take these images and see what you want to see. So, like my story with the shadow people, it's kind of can be explained away by pareidolia. Yeah, and I was going to say earlier that, like, something happens and then you hear about something else like how he those things happened to him and then he watched ghost adventures and all of a sudden spirits all of a sudden yeah. spirits yeah yeah uh on august 22nd 2017 kent post another video that he titles the knock it's honestly not a very impressive video initially there are some quiet tappings that come at odd intervals from within and outside of the room that he's in Okay, so what is peculiar, though, is when he asks, can you make it louder, um, referring to the tapping noise, at which point something right behind him makes a really loud knock. Mm-hmm. So it's when things reply on command that you're like, okay, maybe yeah, something, yeah. Unless it's been, like, a consistent, like, timed out thing and you just happen to have it, like, planned out, but... Yeah. Most of the time, if it's just, like, a one-off noise and it doesn't continue, then it's a little, like, oh. It's it's a little questionable at that point, yeah. So, fast-forwarding to October 1st, Kent posts another video, and for the first half of the 20-minute video, Kent is trying to get whatever spirits that are in the house to talk to him. While he claims to have caught several EVPs, two stood out. One is something talking over him and saying his name. (laughs) Another... Right. Another is when Kent asks, who is here with me? And a voice replies, Doug. Doug. (laughs) What's up, Doug? (laughs) Doug the ghost. Then Kent walks through the hallways towards a bathroom, and what I initially thought was just an object placed in front of a window, like a vase or something. Mm -hmm. It moves. No. It moves as he is turning the corner into the next room. And I watched this part of the clip, like, probably 10 or 15 times, because it's just, it's very brief. 
because I was like, no, that that has to be something placed there. But as he moves, it would kind of move with him. No, no. it just straight up. No. It just straight up just goes. <laughs> oh, no. So, he then posts another video the following day that, that he titles Daymares. Daymares. Daymares, yeah, like nightmares, but in the daytime. Um, in this video, he digs into an entity that he calls Shadow Dude, who he says has never attacked him physically, but more mentally. Come on, Shadow Dude. Thinking Not nice. of shadow figures, that tends to be a thing. It doesn't really attack you physically. Love that. Shadow Dude. Shadow Dude. my new name. The first... <laughs> the new name, Shadow Dude. It's my new name, Shadow Dude. Alright, Shadow Dude, yep. The first video clip that Kent includes shows him walking into his bedroom and Shadow Dude standing in the middle of his window in broad daylight. Mm. Um, so, unlike my story from before with the Shadow People, mm -hmm. Kent believes that he has an idea of who the Shadow Dude is. Oh. He doesn't name any names, but he says he's apparently very short and was made fun of during his life for his height. Oh, Which led him to be... <laughs> Sorry. Shadow Dude and Doug, same person. We got this. Which led him to be a very angry spirit, haunting people in his afterlife in order to scare them. Oh. So, how many people say they're going to come back being vengeful? I mean, it... Yeah. Uh... Kent also mentions that he doesn't know how this inform how he knows this information, so projection. Projection. Yeah. Psychically transmitted information. Yep. Oh, I was saying uh, he's projecting. Oh he yeah, he could definitely be projecting. No, I wasn't. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Uh Shadow Dude is actually prominent in a lot of Kent's videos. I have not included all the videos in my story because guys there's there's hundreds Does of he, videos he actually get shadow dude on camera a couple times yeah huh yeah however the there are a couple times that he catches shadow dude in pictures and on camera that don't look quite right they're no they're not they don't look right um specifically there is a a blue pixely like reflection in glass that he calls the shadow dude okay but that's not a shadow yeah and also blue of all colors right yeah so that's that's one of those instances where i'm sitting here like okay maybe someone is manipulating this video either that or he doesn't understand what a shadow is yeah <laughs> Yes, exactly. But to draw another parallel to our Shadow People episode, Kent had gone back up to the bedroom and was filming during this. Despite bad lighting, after hearing something, Kent faces his camera towards the door and notices something being pulled out through, like, the little sliver of a crack. Oh. When he ran to it and turned on the bedroom lights and looked out the door, he was unable to see anything that had been pulled through the crack in the door. That's when he points the camera back into the room and Shadow Dude is sitting in the window. Oh, no. When he makes a comment about that, Shadow Dude then lunges through uh, from the window to the floor and disappears. He's like, fine, I'll when, leave. Yeah. When Kent went to go investigate, he found only a small black teddy bear on the floor. Hmm. Yeah. So, but this is when this is when a lot of people speculate that this was someone hiding under the bed and pulling something out of the window because Kent spent a lot of time with the camera facing towards the bed and not the floor. Hmm. Which is a little sketchy. I mean, but and not, he didn't... And not to play the age card, but he is an older gentleman. But also at the same time, like, why would he be pointing at the floor if it's in the window? Well, no, when he went to go investigate. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and there I'm kind of like, you know what? Yeah, he probably should have pointed towards the floor. But I myself am very um, guilty of not pointing my camera where I intend to point it. Yeah. Like, if I'm looking in the opposite direction, I'm Then it drifts away, or if you're, like, yeah. trying to focus, if you're not, like, specifically, like, looking at your camera, looking sometimes at it's the camera. not. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I, 
I can see both sides. Yeah. In one of the following clips, Kent hears a bunch of strange noises coming from downstairs, and when he went to go investigate and was peering down the stairs from the top, he heard a bunch of odd noises coming from behind him. When he turned around to face the bedroom, a black mass just came rushing at him. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that don't either. Like that. And I cannot even begin to tell you how high up I jumped when I saw that. Because <laughs> it was like a jump scare. Oh no. And also his oh shit, oh shit, oh shit did not help. Yeah. Then on November 26, 2017, Kent posted another video titled In Danger. He begins recording when he's walking into his house and sees a figure peering at him from the kitchen. As he is recording in the upstairs bedroom, which seems to have all of the activity, he has a spirit box going. And the number of full sentences coming out of this is crazy. Like, it's full yeah, sentences. Out of, re- in really? This, yeah, full sentences in, like, the sen- each sentence is one voice, but there are multiple voices going. Like, multiple phrases going on at the same time. He then turns around suddenly when he feels a cold breeze rush past him. As he turns, we can see the corner of the window curtain lifted about, you know, halfway up and away from the window. Okay. Before falling. (laughs) The spirit box, as he is turning, says, watch out. No. Then, don't kill him. (gasps) Watch out, Kent. It said his name? It said his name, and it said, watch out Kent, not watch out, comma, Kent. Watch out oh. Kent. Hmm. He then goes down to the kitchen and asks, what do you want from me? To which the spirit box replies, run fear. Um, run fear. Run fear. I want you to run. That was my chair. <laughs> okay. It sounded like a small child. I was like... Do I have a small Victorian child haunting my house? This is not old enough for that. <laughs> they're always Victorian, aren't they? No matter where they you are, are, they're always Victorian. They're always Victorian. I have this long-running theory in my brain that ghosts take a certain amount of time to age before they are <laughs> visible to you. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> it's not a good theory. So but in like a hundred, two hundred years, there'll be a, like a shit ton of like millennials and stuff yes, like that. cool. It'll be the millennial ghost. Yes. Uh, then when he goes back upstairs into the bedroom, he asks the same question, and the spirit box says, "Need help." Oh. So this this whole video is really wild, and I do highly recommend watching it just to hear what the spirit box uh, picks up. That's crazy. Because everything I've seen, like, with involving a spirit box has always been, like, no. <laughs> or, like... Right. No, ooh. like, one word. Yeah. But when it's full sentences, and also this... Unless you're doing something that's, like, pre-recorded, it's gonna be really difficult to manipulate the... How a spirit box works. Right, and were they very, like, clear sentences? Were they a little garbled at all? Or... Most of them are really clear. Hmm. There are a few garbled ones in there, and I tried to not pay so much attention to the words that he put on the screen, because if you're reading something, then you're going to hear it. Right. But yeah, don't listen... Don't read the words that he puts up on the screen, because it's really easy to force yourself to hear something that's not actually there. Yeah. Luckily, I was typing as this was going on, so I was actually hearing everything. Kent then briefly goes outside for a moment, leaving the spirit box and the camera running. Um, What the camera captures is the spirit box talking as if the spirits are communicating amongst themselves, which is just really cool. It says, in different voices, mind you, where is he? Hello. (laughs) He left. Find him. Oh, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. nope. So back in the bedroom, Kent, who, because if you've ever been like in an actual place with a spirit box, it's really loud. So Kent really can't hear anything really well that's coming out of the spirit box. So he threatens that he's going to start packing up since no one wants to talk. <laughs> he's starting, <laughs> right. He started gathering some cords, picked up, moved the position of the spirit box, and then leaned against a chair in the bedroom next to the door. 
He continues his threats, believing that no one is responding to him, when suddenly the door just slams shut and slowly opens back up. Oh, dear. This does startle him as he moves back really quickly from that chair and that door. No. Yeah. I would have the similar reaction. Yeah. Like, I've seen, like, little things happen, but, and, like, painting, pictures fall off walls and shit, but if a fucking door moved on its own, like, slammed, I would probably pee myself and run. Yeah. Like... And when it slams shut with, like, no rhyme or reason, like, no drafts, no windows open. Yeah. Going to quickly summarize a few things, because, like I said, there's so many videos, and this is (laughs) pretty long. Over the course of Kent's and other people's investigations of the house, several spirits have made their presence known. There are four seemingly negative or evil spirits that Kent refers to as Shadow Dude, Bad Mouth Dude, (laughs) curses a lot, obviously. Yeah. Evil Dude and the Witch's Window Room Spirit. Ooh, I like that. I like that, yes. There are several spirits who may or may not have come through a portal within the basement of the house. To be perfectly honest, I did not get to that episode where he talked about the portal, but it kind of makes... So with the amount of... It makes... Yeah. Yeah, but it makes a little bit of sense with how many so-called spirits are in the house Mm -hmm. and spirits that are not directly relate it to the history of the house yeah if there are those like historical discrepancies that would definitely make sense but yes and that's if you're a believer some people are just like no portals right so the the spirits that he's made direct contact with and a couple of them are mentioned in the um spirit box video ann butch howe Jeannie, patty edna lamb edmund lamb Abby Mitchell, Naomi Mitchell, Anna, Alfred, Rachel Mitchell, Kaylee, Hattie Lamb, Donald, another Patty, Frankie, Viva Mitchell, Howard Mitchell, Phineas Mitchell, Elizabeth Kimball, Rachel Morgan, and Rachel Pennington. So while I did not go over literally every video, I do highly recommend that you all check out this channel, even if you're not a believer, because the and think that this guy is a fraud because there are hours of stuff that you can watch. That'd be a huge waste of time. And laugh and debunk. I know, that's that's why I'm sitting here, like, kind of giggling about all these, like, people are all like, oh no, this is a hoax. This is. Like, he's, he's not going to hoax someone for going on five years. I don't know. I mean, like,. I can see both sides, definitely, because on one hand, just wanting people to see what you've been experiencing, that is a pretty big thing. That I, Like, I would understand that. But I can also see wanting to have some sort of clout because the spooky thing is happening and I think it's really cool. People will definitely watch this. But... It's just very weird to me that there's so much happening. Yeah. That's the part that makes it almost unbelievable. Well, I believe... I believe. I don't know. I believe that Kent is retired. So he's spending a lot of time at home. You know, he needs a hobby. Yeah. And just like with everyone in the pandemic now finding certain things happening in their house. Yeah, because you remember all of that stuff in my house... It was like, Mm -hmm. whatever, nothing. And then once we were all home because of the pandemic, that's when we all started noticing weird stuff happening. Yeah. So I, yeah. So it's like, so I get it because you're spending more time there and suddenly these things that never happened before are happening. Mm -hmm. And it's because now you're there to witness it. Like, honestly, I think that's why I don't like staying at home all day because then I start noticing things. Weird little things. (laughs) Weird things. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting downstairs and I've seen someone walk past the door and no one's walking past the door. I don't don't, don't like that. But it's never anything bad. So that's, yeah. Sorry. Off topic. Uh, There is one particular disbeliever in the paranormal and in Kent stuff who dedicated an entire Facebook page 
to it titled The Hoax of Carmel, Maine, yeah. as I mentioned in the sources. They do have a very a lot of very strong points, such as the power of suggestion, mm-hmm. like putting subtitles to what EVPs are caught, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Which I do agree with on most of the EVPs that he claims to have caught in his house, because if you're just listening, it sounds garbled. Yeah. There's no, like, definite consonants or vowels or anything. However, however, the spirit box sessions are a completely other thing. Yeah. Because the frequencies, there's multiple frequencies. I just, I can't, I can't believe that he got so much right. in a spirit box session. That's the part that really yeah, gets could, me, because, like, EVP, I could kind of understand, because you can get a bunch of stuff from that sometimes, not yeah. all the time, but, like, spirit, no. Spirit boxes, you almost, like, in the history of spirit boxes, you almost never get anything. Especially not complete sentences. And if you get something, right, you get, like, fragments of sentences or a word. Here. There. Dead. Death. (laughs) Yes. Frog. Frog. Um, Another thing that doesn't help Kent is the fact that he uses horrible potato quality cameras. Like, the camera resolution... Because I've not sent you any videos about on it. Right. But the camera resolution is as bad as, like, the early 2000s. Oh. Like, think about YouTube videos that we used to make and oh, pictures God. we used to take. Jeez. Um, <laughs> that type of resolution for the camera. So, it's, you know, a little pixely if you move it too fast. Yeah. And Ooh. not the highest quality. So any shift in light, like going from a bright room to a darker one, you know, like walking from a hallway with, you know, ceiling lights on to a bedroom with o- the only light source being a window, will cause some questions as to the authenticity of the images. So, you know, super pixelated, super out of focus. Mm-hmm. Kind of easy to manipulate if you get into, like, the video editing aspect of it. And if you get startled by something and move the camera a little too fast, you know, it's just a blur. You've got nothing to work with. Which, then, that Um, part I would understand, for sure. Yeah, but, you know, honestly, a lot of people who are starting out something new don't want to put a lot of money or time into it. Mm -hmm. So, and since most of the videos that I started watching were from when he very first started... And a lot of the videos that people are putting, like, all the speculation into you are from when he very first started. I don't know. I just, I, f- I feel like he wouldn't put that much time and effort into... I mean, maybe. Because, I mean... I mean, maybe, There but... are, like, teenage girls, like, influencers who make zero money and basically do the entire job of a PR marketing team and, um, like, fashion makeup and stuff like that. So, and they put... A lot of effort into those things. I can imagine somebody doing that on YouTube. I'm just saying somebody who's got a lot of time on their hands, somebody who, like, whether or not they're bored or whether or not they want attention or something to do, I think they could devote the amount of time into something. And if it's not going to work out for you, then yeah, you definitely start off with like lower quality content or like, or the camera, like a um, equipment would be as nice like our first mics no. weren't awful but <laughs> they were not great yeah i don't know it's just yeah. it's so hard it it really is it's really hard to know the i know you said you mainly watched videos from the earlier the days yeah. did you watch any later there actually was that i didn't write about <laughs> no i did watch one of the more recent ones and his camera quality is still it's still it's still not great it's still not great. That's interesting. Like, but, God, I hate to be this way, but, like, just because of... I don't know, he seems like the type of person who's, like, too lazy to try something. Too lazy <laughs> to get... That's... Too lazy to get better equipment because, why? I've got something that already works. Right. Yeah, that... Yeah. I mean, there's it's so many broken. people it's like fine. that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It just... It... And he does mention in um, a video that was posted in July of this year, um, titled Ghost of Carmel, Maine, The Last Three Years, uh, he mentions that he did not start the YouTube page for fame or fortune. Mm. And in fact, any monetary gain on his part is through donations and merch sales, not through YouTube. Okay. If you watch any of his videos, there's no ads 
despite the fact that they're sometimes an hour or something long. And he started his page, like I mentioned earlier, well, I mentioned a lot of this earlier, with the help of his son to show his family and friends everything that he was telling them was going on in the house. Because, you know, he's talking on the phone, telling them, they're like, oh, I want to see. So then he starts delving a little bit more into the ghost hunting thing and starts exploring areas around the house. And this is when he starts um, stepping on people's feet because not all of the information that he spouts off in the videos are accurate Mm. historically. And that's one of the main issues that the guy who started the Facebook group has is that a lot of it is not historically accurate. So don't take anything from his videos to heart. Um, Take it all with a grain of salt. Be very skeptical about everything. (laughs) And I I am also skeptical, but I'm also skeptical on how much effort he's actually going to put into something. (laughs) Fair. Because it's, like, I'm not going to lie, it is really easy to post our YouTube video every week. Seriously, it's upload, put the title in, put the description in. I do find it interesting you said he has merch. He has merch, but I also have to mention that I had a really hard time finding the merch. Hmm. It only shows up on an ad on his YouTube page. Like, you know, the ads YouTube puts on, like, every channel you go to, it only shows up on the ad on his channel. Hmm. And it's, like, sweatshirts, t-shirts. All stuff that basically you just go on a website, um, put a graphic design on there and then you're done yeah okay i'm very i'm very conflicted yeah i can see that like i also hate that this has turned into an i am very conflicted but also to be honest that's what a lot of paranormal is it's how you You personally perceiving perceiving it yeah yeah I don't know. I think I think I'm gonna have to watch some of the videos because one hundred percent recommend, even if it's just for shits and giggles, because because sometimes um like when you're super skeptical about something, especially when you haven't seen it, like you don't know you you don't get a feel of the person like their personality, and I mean yeah. even in videos like that, it might not even be their genuine personality. They could be putting on an act, but like mm-hmm. sometimes stuff yeah. like that. You just need to see for yourself. Yeah. And I do have to um, say, if you are going to watch some of his, like, later videos, if his reactions don't seem as scared, keep in mind he's been dealing with it since 2014. Yeah. So, some things you start to get used to. And is it, like, the same amount of, like, activity? Well, towards the end on the channel, he is not... He, it seems like he's posted less stuff about it because he's getting a lot of negative attention mm-hmm. saying that he's a hoaxer and he's like, you know, I don't want people to think I'm doing this for money. So he's really not posted as much about his house. He's posted a few other videos about places, like in surrounding areas, oh, okay. that he's gone and visited with other people, like a team, yeah. to investigate. But he's not a professional. This is a hobby for him. Yeah. Much like... This. Much like this is for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I I, I, I... I get it. As little information as that was, I'm so sorry. That is the ghost of Carmel Maine. That was good, though. I really want to watch some of those videos, because that one you mentioned sounded kind of scary. Like, seriously, I really do enjoy watching his videos. If, I mean... Just because it's interesting seeing these things happen because, like, it doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen whenever I come and visit. Like, that stuff just doesn't happen to a normal person living in a house that not a lot happens in. Yeah. And I find it very interesting that he's in such a small town and... Oh, I did find their GoFundMe for it. They have a GoFundMe? What? Yes. And actually, Kent Burris did not start the GoFundMe. His wife did. And they've only raised a thousand dollars, so... What are they... I mean, they're not making... What are they raising? ...money on this. Like, just... Their goal is two thousand dollars, hopefully for a new camera. Oh. Damn. How much are cameras? Shit. They're not cheap. Grace, my camera that we got on sale was like three hundred dollars. What camera? The one you're using right now? What? That one. No, my oh. actual camera. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Myths Misfortune, or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com, and please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Adkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. Please rate, review, subscribe. Is that <laughs> no? Is that... no? No. Um, I like your old one better. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Okay, Valley Girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Like, don't forget. No, that no, I don't want to. Mm. No. Mm. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.